Like this money isn't free. Every dollar that's being spent on you and me in student loan relief is a dollar that could have gone to people who never had the opportunity to go to college in the first place. Nobody expects the dismal science! Welcome to another exciting episode of Nobody Expects the Dismal Science. I'm George. And I am rejoicing in what an absolute privilege it is to be able to once again watch football and bet against the Cornhuskers of Nebraska University. (laughs) So uh, for for those who aren't familiar with the Nebraska Cornhuskers, they have a wonderful little coach named Scott Frost, and I think they are consistently the most overrated team in NCAA football, and I don't think that changed this year at all, and I was very happy to um, bet against them uh, and favor the Northwestern Wildcats and make quite a bit of money the other day doing so. Um, So Scott Frost, thank you for being the only person I'm aware of who would try to onside kick it up 11 points in the third quarter. Um, It is that sort of reason why your your program has not had a a winning season in like six years now or something. It's it's amazing. My my favorite thing about this is – because it was such a big deal when he he signed with Nebraska originally, it is uh, they they made September first uh, Nebraska in Nebraska uh, Scott Frost Day, so I'm sure they're very happy to celebrate that Scott Frost Day this year. At least I I am. Congratulations, good to hear. Yeah, I mean, there's always built into sports betting an amount of bias because people will bet on their team because they like them, and so there's there's always a little bit of wiggle room you know, in the stats, if you come at it from an unbiased perspective. Well, I want to say in this specific instance is um, a lot of people, I think they thought that Nebraska was going to be kind of underrated this year because even though they were three and nine last year and they've never had a winning season under Scott Frost, they've never even had a 500 season under Scott Frost. They've never had six wins under Scott Frost. He is like lost his his games uh, by, that he decided by one score or less. He has a five and twenty six record now, I believe. And last year he went like one and eight in those games. So you're looking at it, it's like, wow, they could be really good this year. Whereas really, it is he is just a really bad game manager and loses games that are close, and he makes more games closer than they should be. Which is why I was very happy to take the Northwestern Wildcats as heavy underdogs at home against Nebraska in week zero of this NCAA football season. But yeah, happy happy Scott Frost Day, everyone. So speaking of college, I heard that Biden uh, gave away a shit ton of money to rich kids. Rich might be doing a little stretch, but yeah, I was looking at the distributional uh, impact of his little forgiveness scheme and a little, it's, it's about, it was a little more than 40% of uh the forgiveness is going to households in the top 20% of the income distribution. Well, and that I think actually undersells it by a lot, actually, because most of these people are somewhere somewhat fresh out of college between five and 10 years out of college is the vast majority of this debt. And so those people, you know, they're they're 10 to 20 years from the top of their income distribution and the top of their income distribution is looking real good. But what what exactly did he do? Um, So uh, he moved back uh, when we're going to start paying loans back uh, to January, I believe. 
Everyone who's under $125,000 a year for a single individual or $250,000 a year for a family can have up to $10,000 worth of loans uh, eliminated. And many of them automatically will be eliminated if uh, the government already has your tax information for 2020 and 2021. If not, uh, you'll need to go to a website to get it filled out. If you were eligible and took a Pell Grant while you were in college, then uh, you're eligible for up to $20,000. I think the one of the bigger, less under-discussed aspect of this bill is the reform to the income-based repayment plan. Where Yeah, I that, th- that was, I, I mean, they could have just done that and probably would have been pretty good, don't you think? I'm skeptical of using the word good, and I'm going to explain why in a little bit more detail. But one one of the things they did is they they lowered the discretionary income cap, like the amount. So if you, before, the law had it that, um, I think it was around 10%, because uh, they, they had just- Yeah, yeah, it was around 10%, percent. and they moved it to five. Yep, and Biden is now moving it to five, um, where- no matter how much debt you accumulated during college, no matter how much your your monthly uh, payment would be from all that debt, you were capped at paying, let's say, 10% of your income uh, every month to uh, these programs. And if you did this, if, if, you, if you were uh, under public, uh, if you worked in the public sector, you could have all of your debt forgiven after 10 years doing these minimum payments. And if you worked private sector, I believe it's what? 30? Is it really 30? I don't I think that's not true. I think it's 20. But eventually, like, at no point, like, it is possible to, uh, like, people always complain, like, oh, I'm, I'm paying $1,000 in in my student loan debt uh, accumulated to, to the government. If you did that, that was always a choice unless, unless uh, you personally just uh, had a, a, an income that was high enough to where that that would be, uh, you know, if, if you were paying $1,000 at a 10% income cap, then you're making a, an awful lot of money, right? Yeah, definitely. Biden lowered this to 5%. And not only is it going to lower it to 5%, uh, there's several other very huge changes. So one, one of the smaller ones is it, it changes it to the, the amount of income that is not subject uh, to this, it's increasing from 150% of the federal po- poverty line to 225%. A huge change is it's changing the interest rate on, on these enrolled loans to 0%. There is no interest rate. For, you know, I mentioned that one, um, for balances that are below a total of $12,000, the, the repayment period <clears throat> is changed from 20 years um, before you this program, yeah, you, you need to make these minimum payments all the way down to 10 years. So it's a half reduction. What this means, though, is that, and I'm sure the schools that have these programs are aware of it, is that if you want to be a law student and go to law school, you absolutely can now and take out a huge amount, hundreds of thousands of dollars of loans, no intent to work in the public sector at all. And you can come out, use this to they also cover uh, living expenses now instead of just uh, uh, tuition and what 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 was the 
what was the other limits? It wasn't, you couldn't used to be able to do it to all. I think it was just tuition fees you could use student loans for, but now it's like literally all living expenses that are covered, um, which is another huge change. But like, if you want a good explanation of what would now be legal under the scheme, Lyman Stone, he has a very good thread about how you can basically borrow under your maximum loan eligibility and then find a way to invest it by doing things like renting a wildly oversized apartment and subletting it, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, you can legally do that, like r- rent, like an exorbitant rate um, anywhere you want under under the scheme, because that's what happens when living expenses are covered by your student loan payments. Um, and with the 0% interest rates on them, like, yeah, taking out a maximum amount of money um, with the intent to basically invest as much as it, as you can. Uh, like you're going to rake in a hell of a lot of cash doing that if this is something you try to do. And yeah, it's this is a pretty significant change. I don't see too many people talking about it. Um, there's another good blog post that goes into more debt on marginal revolution called the student loan giveaway is much bigger than you think. But I honestly find this concerning, especially given the extent that how, how much easier it will, it will make it for uh, rich lawyers and things to basically not have to pay uh, consequential, I should say consequential, but pay significantly less money uh, to go and get that, that sort of education. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of bad incentives in this. Um, for one, it's I, I don't see any reason why it would lower future costs. Um, I, I think, if anything, uh, it points in the other direction that, that this will dramatically increase costs and uh, increase people's willingness to take out additional loans, believing that, you know, it's going to be forgiven in one way or another. Yeah, I, I, I don't like this for a lot of reasons. I wonder... I, I think there's a lot of bad arguments being brought up. Yeah, I, I basically think everybody's wrong on this. I wonder if you compared this to something like reparations and you were to give everyone with a slave ancestor $20,000 um, and there would be, you know, mass shock and, and upsetness or cheering in the streets depending on where you were at. But I feel like, you know, doing something like that, it would cost, you know, a similar amount and uh you know might do a, a considerably more for poverty might be a better targeted intervention it's not one that i would necessarily support but that that's when you're talking about these kinds of mass giveaways doing it for a population that's you know has very good prospects some are certainly struggling um and you could do things about that but um, this seems like a really big giveaway to one universities and two graduate students. The biggest problem, so like I, I think I think this is a bad policy. I think student loan forgiveness, anything this broad base we've 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 discussed before. I don't support it. I wouldn't pass it. I'm very nervous about what I just said and, and how like the income driven repayments are a much larger giveaway and what economists would call moral hazard. Um, they, they strongly incentivize very negative behaviors that will exacerbate this problem, in my opinion. I think I think you could have done a lot worse in a lot of the broad-based programs that Dems have been pushing for and progressives have been pushing for. 
would have been much worse than this. Well, yeah, they could have gone fifty thousand. They could have gone all debt. Um, all yeah, they could have gone way worse for sure. Yeah, and the fact that there are income caps, like I heard some people I've seen, it's like, oh, one hundred twenty-five thousand. That's not that rich. There's a lot of like. It depends um, on where you live. Well, not not just that's not what I really mean, but like there are a lot of folks with one working household member pulling in two hundred fifty k by themselves, and you know they're going to be covered by this too, and it's not a huge amount. We're not like, this isn't a handout to the 1%, like I said, but when it comes to policies that have very concentrated benefits and diffuse costs, you know, broad-based costs, I don't like to see nearly half of the benefit going to households in the top 20%. Yeah. And we should talk I, about those costs a little bit more too, because a lot of people are treating this like it's, it's a, it's a free lunch or something. no, um, the, this, it's going to cost what a little over $300 billion. That is money that the federal government could be using, um, to plug revenue streams and whatnot in the future. Pay down the debt. Uh, but yeah, exactly. Um, but not only that, some scoring I've seen from the committee for responsible federal budget, um, they're estimating that this would eventually boost inflation by 15 to 27 basis points. So they're saying that's 0.15 to 0.27% and increase in inflation over the next year because of this policy. We've talked about the Inflation Reduction Act and how that probably this. Yeah, it just wipes it out. This wipes it out. Like it just does. Um, I don't think. And, uh, and all of the savings to the deficit as well completely wipes it out. And that's, I, I still think maybe being generous because over time, you know, this is, you know, as written, and over time, I think this absolutely causes uh, universities to increase tuition much higher and much faster than they would have uh, in the alternate scenario that this didn't happen. The biggest, the biggest flaw, yes, I think of this program is that a lot of people believe that student debt accumulation is a bad problem. Um, this fundamentally changes none of that. I think it makes it worse. I, I think it, it absolutely exacerbates the issue. Yeah. To what extent? It's hard to say. But like like we said, like I think I think this basically increases the moral hazard of all parties to be more irresponsible. Colleges are going to keep increasing their cost of attending. Um, and actually, that's something we've seen decreases in, like uh, net tuition expenses, net, net cost of attendance. They've been going down during COVID while so many other things have been skyrocketing under inflation. I expect that's probably going to change. Um, because that's what happens when you you incentivize so strongly this this uh, riskier, uh, more irresponsible behavior. Is it going to meaningfully increase the amount of people who plan on attending college either? Maybe. Maybe. Um, I've seen, I saw, in terms of benefits, one thing I saw is um, that for every, I forget who the study was by but it was for every $10,000 in student debt that a person has, it roughly uh, decreases the chance that they become an entrepreneur by about 7%. Okay, I, I can see that. But God, there's just, if, if you care about something like that, which I would say I do, I, I want America to be more dynamic. There are way better ways of trying to address it than something so broad-based in that, you know, this isn't, this doesn't, benefit the wealthy nearly as much as blanket forgiveness would do. 
Um, it's not nearly as costly as blanket forgiveness would be, but for all of the victory and, and by laps, a lot, just to be yeah, clear, uh, for all the victory know. laps that the Dems have been taking under the quote unquote inflation reduction act, that's gone. You know, you can't do this and say that you've, you're, you're meaningfully fighting inflation. No, you just, you did a little bit and now you just control Z on that to give a handout that is almost halfway to households in the top 20%. And one thing, one thing we should say about that is that is the current of income standing of these households. An awful lot of these people are very young. They're, they're like me working um, one of their first jobs still. They haven't only, they haven't been in the labor force for a decade yet. And that that's the sort of person who has uh, this amount of debt and they're going to go on and earn more and more money in the future and move up those income ranks because that's just what people do over the course of their, their life. And, you know, I'm happy to take my 10,000 Biden bucks. I'm, I'm very fortunate that the, the federal government has given somebody with uh, as much as a comfortable living as me so much money these past few years. Uh, but honestly, uh, I don't think we probably should be doing that. I've, I've got, I'm doing well enough just betting against Scott Frost and the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Yeah, I, I hate that this is really a cynical grab bag for, you know, a specific constituency. And I don't like setting up that kind of precedent. Now, there are many who would argue, and I would agree, that this happens all the time for companies, especially big businesses, things like PPP, um, where loans are forgiven, handouts are given, government contracts, whatever. And that that's all true. And, and I agree. And we should, uh, instead of doing more of it, well, we, should, thing, we should stop doing that. One thing with PPP, too, is like, you know, that was an emergency measure at an emergency time. The inflationary impacts, I don't know what they are offhand, but I suspect they would be much less because uh, the economy was was just struggling so much at that time in general. The That's true, but it was a cynical giveaway to a lot of rich people. I, I suppose. like That's what happens when you just don't have the state capacity to measure who really needs the money and, and doesn't. But this... This is a, I don't know if cynical is the right word, but it's definitely a... I mean, you're, you're picking a targeted group, and it happens to be the targeted group that voted for you by a lot. Yeah, that's true. There's and also, I, don't, I don't like setting that precedent to where, you know, the next Republican comes in and gives freaking free cars to everyone living in a trailer. You know, whatever. that might be a, a better, you know, a more more progressive way to do things. But um, I I don't want... It used to be a situation where every president came in and would just give all the jobs to their supporters, all the government jobs. And it was just like, you know, uh, uh, it was corrupt. And I don't want us turning into that kind of situation where, you know, we're basically buying votes. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it just, the, it's nice that we're resuming payments finally on these loans. Like me personally, I have not spent a dime on any of uh, my student loans since the moratorium began. And now I am, I, I had been intentionally making minimum payments on my public loans. I actually paid off, I, I had about what, nearly 8K in private loans as well that I basically immediately pa uh, paid off as soon as I could. And I did that years ago. 
Um, whereas my public loans, I've been intentionally making minimum payments, expecting something like this. Didn't anticipate the moratorium and the pandemic, by the way, but it's been such a demand for so long. And you know, uh, this policy does this forgiveness. It's rewarding my behavior, which I honestly don't think should be rewarded. And two, it has done absolutely nothing except for probably at the margins has made more people think that this kind of future forgiveness is likely. Yeah. I mean, this is, I, I believe almost, ex, you know, targeted directly for me specifically. I mean, I'm a single dad with three children with over $50,000 in student debt. I'm, you know, I, I make less than a hundred K, but not, not enough less to, to start feeling bad. Like this money isn't free. Every dollar that's being spent on you and me in student loan relief is a dollar that could have gone to people who never had the opportunity to go to college in the first place. This isn't free money. It's, it's just, it's just true. No, I mean, you, 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 you put this against something like uh, free community college, which they, they could do for, I, I believe less than this cost and would probably have a, a, a better impact on every single level level. It would probably force down the cost at, uh, you know, at least state level schools, um, as they have to compete with community college for the first couple of years, and uh, you know, probably wouldn't have that much of a distortionary effect because community colleges are already run on such a shoestring budget that getting the government involved wouldn't really affect that much. Um, and it would be cheaper, and it would be you know more progressive, as it would you know uh, affect low, more lower income people uh, for you know just better. There are so many different policies that could have been done to try to accomplish this exact same goal and and would have been way better yeah like it's not it's not the end of the world there's a lot worse policies or ways they could have been doing it but it i yeah the the, the ones that you know elizabeth warren and and aoc were proposing was 1.5 trillion dollars worth of forgiveness rather than 300 billion and to a lot more rich people yeah no kidding because <laughs> because the thing is the the first like what people don't realize is almost all of the defaults are for like five thousand and below um, which is part of why they did the 10,000 is to catch most of the people who, you know, if you're, if you're very poor, if you dropped out of college in your first semester, then, you know, that $5,000 can really be, you know, it can be weighing on you. It can really be hurting you. I know my sister went through this, you know, she, she was a college dropout and it, it took her like 10, 15 years to pay off that $5,000 loan. Um, and that's, that's really the people who need it. I don't think this is quite well enough targeted to affect those kind of people. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is a blanket net that will catch all of those people. So everybody in that situation will be taken care of by this, which I, I do appreciate. I just I think they could have done I think they could have done a lot better when I mean, my line is basically if I'm getting the benefit, I feel like maybe they're giving out too much money. <laughs> yeah, that's but what, what about the Trump tax cuts, George? I mean, it it does make you look at that. I mean, because that, and that's the thing that, you know, the Republicans are going to come into power in two to four years, I mean, two to six years, and they're going to do the exact same thing. I mean, this is this is this is true. Every time you look at, you know, uh, a major tax cut on, you know, the top top percentiles, you know, then they're going to they're going to look back on this um, and, and they should. Um, that's that's a lot of what's being called out. I can't see a major difference between this and something like the Bush tax cuts or, or Trump tax cuts um, where they cut top marginal rate. Anytime they're cutting to top marginal rates. But this, I mean, 
uh, yet again, getting very cynical. Uh, the freaking money managers. Have we, we, we didn't really go into depth on, uh, that, that tax break, have we? The one that got cut out by cinema that was going to come in. I don't know. I think we should do just, just, just a little bit of a break on this. So, um, if you invest money in, say, the stock market or business or something like that, you don't pay the normal, whatever, 38% top rate on that money. You pay either 20% if it's a short-term investment or 15% if it's a long-term investment, right? We're on the same page? Capital gains. Yes. Yes. Now, that, I mean, I disagree with it. I believe that it should be, you should pay the same as, as wage income. However, that's not the case, and there are a lot of economists who agree in good faith that uh, this stimulates investment and growth. I think that they would invest anyways because they like money, but that's just me. Um, however, the people who invest that money, the, 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 the literal fat cat money managers, the people uh, who work on the stock market, day traders, the people who invest other people's money, they also only pay 15% on the money that they make um, as commission for those investments. That income is not treated as labor income, it's treated as investment income. So say you've got you know, Warren Buffett and he pays some guy, obviously he doesn't, but say he did some guy to invest for him. The guy investing gets commission, say 1% of that money for making those investments. Now, Warren Buffett only pays 15% of whatever he makes on that, and so does the money manager. <laughs> now, this has been a loophole for a very long time. Uh, obviously, that's labor income. You are doing something. You are not investing your money. You are investing somebody else's money and then taking a cut of it. However, the way the tax code treats it is as uh, you are investing your own money, even though you totally are not. You're investing somebody else's money. And these people make millions, tens of millions, just absolute oodles of money. Um, and they have the best lobbying game in the entire world because both Republicans, I mean, Trump talked about this, Democrats have talked about this, everybody hates this, and somehow it still exists. And it was to, the change for this to take money managers and move them their uh, income over to labor income and be taxed at the top rate it got blocked by Kirsten Cinema because she is getting paid a shit ton by these money managers. They lobby like fucking crazy. They are, these are the fat cat mega million dollar donors that people are talking about, and they are actually winning. This is absolutely the croniest shit that, that exists. It's, I mean, it's, it's really bad. As someone with more libertarian sentiments, I think what you were saying is basically communism, and I'll leave it at that. I'm, I'm I'm joking, but yeah, I don't. I I'm I'm not in the mood for, pitch, for pushing back too much, just because uh, I'm really uh, want to talk about something near and dear to me, which is how we need to restore the roar in Detroit and talk a little bit about this upcoming 2022 Detroit Lions season. But for that, um, is there, a word is, from our sponsor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is, <laughs> Uh, DraftKings. No, I wish. I wish DraftKings would sponsor my generate ass. Um, I, I would like for them the to first thing they got out of you. Even more money, yeah. But is there is there anything that you wanted to plug before I go and talk about the Lions for a long time? No, nope, go for it. Cool. So the Detroit Lions this year, I think objectively, 
are going to be a really, really interesting team to follow. Uh, this is the first time I have felt this in years, uh, since year one of the uh, Matt Patricia Quinn uh, regime, where it was, it was kind of a test of like old school football theories and there was reasons for optimism at least. And it turns out um, they were very wrong and were doing basically everything they could to uh, empirically lose football games while seeming to win. And because of that, they, they took a team that had uh, been around 500 and contending for the playoffs um, pretty consistently under Jim Caldwell. Uh, and they nuked it into the absolute wasteland. And that wasteland, well, the Lions started to come back from last year as the first rebuilding year. But um, it was very obvious the team just did not have the, the talent left on it just about anywhere. And it was a real rebuilding year. So last year, uh, the Lions... Uh, they they had their over under uh, set uh, at this time at about five basically five wins they they were slight uh, underdogs to go over that number this year they are uh, Vegas thinks that they are good for about six and a half wins and they are they are slight favorites to go above that number um, so. You know, we've already seen basically in one one year the the guys who put money down on this thinks this team is about two wins better. And the Lions they went they didn't come close to getting five wins last year. <laughs> but the good news is, um, Dan Campbell, their their head coach, uh, if you see him on Hard Knocks, you just like look at random clips of uh, Dan Campbell talking. He is an absolute inspirational madman. This guy, he's doing down ups. Uh, with his team every day, which is like the exact opposite of Matt Patricia, who would be driving around all day barking at people on a freaking golf cart. Dan Campbell, he seems to get his team to play like absolute madmen, which is why the Lions had a much better record against the spread last year um, than they did in real life. And for those who don't know, the spread is basically, uh, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious a lot of the times like when a really good team plays a really bad team, such as the Detroit Lions, um, that one team is very more probable to win that game. What the spreads do is it can give give teams a little bit more points or it'll take points away. Um, so it makes it more of a 50-50 match. Uh, so it's more interesting to see. It's like, yeah, this team is – they're obviously better, but are they seven points better? You know, what the, the Lions did against the spread last year was really impressive. Dan Campbell got them – um, I think like an 11-6 record against the spread or 12-5, something like that. They had one of the best records in the league against the spread, which means relative to their talent and expectations consistently, this guy was able to get the Lions to play like absolute madmen. Um, and now this year, they've actually had a significant influx of talent because when you tank, you just you just get more draft picks and things. And some really interesting storylines for, for, for folks to follow along this year. You've had DeAndre Swift, who's – I think he's a talented running back. He kind of sucks between running from the tackles, which is what Quintricia liked to use him for, for God knows why. Uh, but he put him out in space. He, he's like one of the most electric players in the league. Um, meanwhile, they took a guy named Jamal Williams as a first-round draft pick as a wide receiver. Or not Jamal Williams, excuse me. Um, uh, wait, 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 I can't think of his name. It is uh, uh, Jameson Williams. That's the other Jay Williams on the team. <laughs> um he was taken in the first round. He he had an Achilles injury from what's an Achilles? Yeah, uh, from the end of his uh, Alabama days. But he's looking like he will probably be an electric wide receiver once he gets healthy. And but even besides him, one of the late wide receivers the Lions took last year is 
one of the most coolest named dudes in the league, Amon Ra St. Brown, um, whose dad was a former uh, bodybuilding, like Mr. Universe guy. Um, Amon Ra, he was a fourth round pick last year and basically set every meaningful Detroit Lions rookie wide receiver record, which is pretty dang impressive considering some of the rookie wide receivers who have played for the Lions, like he, uh, you know, Calvin Johnson, those sorts of dudes. But there, there's, there, there's like actual talent at the wide receiver position this year. Um, whereas last year, poor Jared Goff, who is, I think, a below average starting caliber league quarterback was made to look uh, much, much worse than that because he is just basically throwing to Amon Ra, who's still getting his wings under him, and then a bunch of guys who probably shouldn't have been <laughs> playing in the NFL uh, as, as starters and whatnot. Um, and thankfully, they, they've got like uh, some more help for for Goff um, at the wide receiver position besides just the Jameson Williams, the rookie there, Amon Ra. Um, they also signed DJ Chark from uh, Jacksonville, who he's coming off in, a major injury, but it looks pretty good for Jacksonville. Then uh, at tight ends, they have one of the more intriguing uh, tight ends in all the league, a guy named TJ Hawkinson, who he was an absolute mauler at blocking people and stuff in college. And for some reason seems to have mostly forgotten how to do that, but is still a very talented pass catcher in his own right. If those guys all on offense stay healthy, uh, there's a lot of reasons for optimism, not just because of them, but the Lions objectively, like PFF thinks so and, and their offensive line rankings, they have absolute all-stars at the offensive line position. This year they're starting all healthy. Um, this would be uh, Taylor Decker, uh, Jonah Jackson, who was a pro bowler last year. you got Frank Ragnow, who would have been pro bowler, if not all pro NFL center last year, except for he was hurt most of the year. You got like Panay Sewell, who was the Detroit Lions first round pick last year, who was one of the best um, young players in the league at the offensive line position and looks to be even crazierly good this year. And those guys are looking like they will be a probably top five offensive line unit. I'm, I'm kind of skeptical of, of people who say, like winning in the trenches is the most important thing. There, there's a lot of empirical reasons why I, I think that's not the case, in fact. Um, but the Lions are going to be a really, really good test of that this year, too, because also on the defensive line side of the ball, they have local product Aiden Hutchinson out of the University of Michigan. Um, he grew up around Detroit. You know, he went to U of M. Now he's going to be starting to, for the Detroit Lions and the preseason's indication of just how he ragdolled um, in his one of his first snaps. Um, uh, Matthews, the, the starting left tackle for the Atlanta Falcons. Aiden Hutchinson looks like he's a freaking real player, and it's like it looks like it's probably going to be an insult that he was not taken first overall in the draft and that us Lions fans should be really thankful he fell. Um, I've got, they got some other players on the defensive line that it makes it look like that. That's going to be at least an above average unit. Now reasons for a concern. Oh, also I want to highlight Jack Fox, like one of the best kickers, <laughs> the best punters in the league. I love him. He's really good at punting and you got to You got to give those guys a little shout out because it's, it's great when, for years under Quintricia, our best player was objectively the punter. <laughs> Just like under all the suck years with Jason Hansen was the, the best player as a kicker. Um, gotta love it. But anyway, the reasons for concern is it looks like probably just about anybody is going to be able to throw at will against the Lions. They're, they don't really have very good coverage linebackers. They have almost no cornerbacks. Um, the safeties look a bit stronger. It's not important to get into them. But uh, 
Yeah, unfortunately, the Quintricia drafted a guy named Jeff Akuda a few years ago as the third overall pick, and he was supposed to be like a generational cornerback, longtime starter talent. Instead, it just turns out he's often hurt and kind of really sucks when he's not hurt. And on an average NFL team, he would probably be like the fourth or fifth cornerback, if not, if, if he's even on the roster. He might be our cornerback number one starting this year. Like we, they, they basically have no starting caliber NFL cornerbacks. And, you know, you, it's great to talk about defensive linemen and the importance of getting to the quarterback and stuff. But if, if you look at kind of like the empirical objective, you know, studies on, on, on like what determines outcomes more on defense, uh, the bigger concern is basically if, if, if wide receivers or other playmakers on offense can torch the defenders and get open really quickly because uh, your defensive backs all suck, then that doesn't matter because that, that's faster than the, the fastest linemen can consistently get to the quarterback. So yeah, quarterbacks it, are so fast nowadays. It's yeah. It's much more of like a weak link system where where you know if you you can even have like an all pro cornerback on one side, but if your your nickel cornerback and your your number two cornerbacks absolutely suck, and the quarterback knows this, he's not even going to bother looking at whoever's being covered by the all pro because you know you just toss it open to the guys that suck every time. Well, the Lions are going to be tossing basically at least at least three guys who probably absolutely suck uh, day in day out. But, um, you know, what that means with the expected pretty good, and I honestly think underrated offense um, with a lot of interesting storylines on it, and a defense that kind of sucks and is going to be looking for playmakers, except for some really talented linemen, I think they've basically constructed a team that is going to be absolute chaos and competitive in a lot of games, which is what you want to see. And I think right now, uh, not that I think – Right now, the, the Lions over uh, their chances to make the playoffs are at plus 400 on DraftKings, which is an implied probability. I don't even need the calculator. It's 20%. That's, that, I think uh, if the Lions are going to be good this year, they're going to be really good. And I'm not advising anyone to put money down on them. But if you do, I think uh, the Lions to make a playoffs are a good bet, even though I don't think that's what's going to happen. In any case, that would, uh, it would give you a good chance to watch a team this year that I think is going to be really interesting and really fun and exciting. And, you know, I mentioned last week they're on HBO Hard Knocks. There's just so many great personalities on this team. It's it's wild. Just the coaching staff. Like, this is the most entertaining coaching staff in the NFL, too, because there's so many former players on it, and all these guys are characters. And Dan Campbell is out here telling his guys to go out and bite kneecaps and run through brick walls for him. And it seems like everybody really wants to because, you know, he's a freaking soldier who's doing town-ups with them and stuff. Like, it's not, it's not something coaches in the NFL do. And he's also, I forgot to, to mention, to blow my entire savings and, and childhood, child's future on uh, the Lions to win the Super Bowl. Take out all the student loans you can, throw all down the that money. Bun, bucks. <laughs> yeah, throw it all down on the uh, Detroit Lions Super Bowl futures. Um, no. But, oh, the other really nice thing about Dan Campbell is, I don't know if he's doing it for analytical reasons. He, he might be, but he is extraordinarily aggressive on fourth down. He is one of the only coaches who, on his own side of the field, was consistently going for it on fourth down. I think some of it might might just because um, the Lions did suck so much last year. They basically needed that if they had any chance of winning. Um, but just the fact that he even considered it at any point when still so many coaches are absolute chicken shit to do it when when like it's much less like when it's much more obviously the right thing to do. All things are, are basically pointing upwards. 
my, my, I guess my other biggest concern is that, like, I mean, Jared Goff was good enough to go to a Super Bowl, but he was also bad enough that McVay was very happy to trade several first-round picks. Well, was it several? But he was, he was able to – It was two. Yeah, for uh, John Matthew Stafford, who did take them to the Super Bowl on, on the same roster, more or less. Jared Goff, I don't think he's a good enough quarterback to take the Lions to anything promising, no matter how much talent you throw around him. I think the staff is probably aware of it. He is good enough that we can actually evaluate the the talent that's on that roster, and he should be good enough to, if that talent is legit, I think he can get the Lions to the playoffs. So that's that's your Detroit Lions season preview. Let's restore the roar, people. It'll get a little bit of encouragement going because uh, my word of advice last year with this team team was don't bother watching because it will be bad. And it was very bad. <laughs> Yeah, I'm uh, boycotting the the Lions because um, CTEs, and also I don't get reception in this valley of a hole that I live in. That's too bad. Um, I will be I will be doing everything I can to make sure my degenerate ass watches them every Sunday, and unless it becomes obvious they are not good <laughs> in a painful way. But yeah, that's uh, all I had this week, folks. Let's let's go out there and restore that roar. Sounds good. Uh, I've been playing. Uh... Immortal Empires for Warhammer 3. It's the greatest thing that's ever been invented. All right. See ya. (laughs) Talk to you later. Bye.